what white people did, what white Christians did was come to a continent that was already thriving, thriving and it had economy and it had government and it had so societies and it had spirituality and it had structure. And we were like, nah. Hi, my name is Leo WT and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at the conversation. Friends, friends, hey, hi, hi, how are you? I'm not sure if we're live yet. Let's see. Oh, there we are. Friends. It's so exciting to be here with you this week, friends. This is the uh, much anticipated conversation with my friend who actually is completely anonymous to me until this very moment. <laughs> um, but uh, my friend here runs an account called the De Decolonized Christian on Instagram. And it's been a massive part of my understanding and my, um, let's say, emergence from the sort of binary of colonized and uncolonized. Uh, I've learned so much recently and I, I have to give, um, I have to be honest and give credit to the fact that I live near the Seneca Nation territory. And so I have been blessed to learn a lot of things uh, through the people and the places of the Seneca Nation. So uh, short of doing a full land acknowledgement because I am not equipped to do so, I would like to make that acknowledgement that I am uh, coming to you from what I do believe is Seneca Nation territory land. And I'm coming to you today on the first day of Native American Heritage Month. Now, this is something that uh, my friend and I have been planning for a while, but actually, I didn't know that we were going to be going live today on the first day of Native American Heritage Month. But I think it's rather fitting because what we're going to talk about today is the idea of decolonization. For those of you who have watched before, we've done a podcast on colonization, sort of a colonizer 101. What is it? How do we deal with it? Why is it bad? You know, what are the repercussions? But today we're going to get really specific um, and talk a little bit more in depth about decolonization, especially when it comes to um, the ways in which religions have played a role in that. So I'm very excited about this, but I'm going to let my friend introduce them to whatever, introduce themselves to whatever level, level they feel comfortable, and then we'll get started. Mm -hmm. Well, hi, thank you so much, Leo, for having me on the, on the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I too um, am not fully equipped to do so, but I, I come to you on the unceded territories of the Stolo people, um, specifically, um, uh, yeah, this is, this is unceded territory in uh, what is now known as Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. Um, and uh, it's on the traditional lands of the Matsqui um, in the Stolo Nation here. So uh, thank you. Um, and we have a lot of work to do moving forward. Um, this is, yeah, there's, land acknowledgements are not enough. Um, land, land acknowledgements are merely uh, virtue signaling if nothing's done. And so I want to make that known right off the top. And um, yeah. That's there's just a long way to go in that process. So absolutely. Well, thank you for your introduction and thank you for that little sort of educational piece of, you know, just like where you are from and whose land you're on. Uh, I do know folks who are watching, there is actually a text service where you can text them where you're located and they'll actually tell you whose lands you are on. I will drop that in the comment box a little bit later because I'm going to give my full attention to our conversation here. But that's something that we talked back in our interview with Mark Charles. Uh, if you're interested in watching that, we talked about how the phrase we the people is the most misguided guided uh, concept in the entirety of American history. Uh, Mark Charles is a Navajo activist, and I would very highly encourage you to check out that episode as well. So um, I would actually like to hear a little bit about how you got started in this work. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Decolonized Christian is a, a, an insanely informational Instagram account. Um, I came across it when I wanted to intentionally start to decolonize my faith, because while I might 
loathe Christianity at a lot of points. I've realized that it's where I come from. And so I bear some culpability in making it better. And one of the things I wanted to do with my faith system was decolonize that. And I actually came across the decolonized Christian because I literally put in the search bar decolonize and Christian. <laughs> um, but That's this amazing. account has been a really big help. So I'd love to hear like kind of how did you uh, get started on this path? Well, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Mark Charles because he was a huge, huge reason I started this page. I finished his book, Unsettling Truths. If you haven't read that book, that is the book to read for any people who want just kind of a decolonizing Christianity 101, how imperialism became joined with Christianity. Um, that book radically changed my view. And I must also make the point that decolonized and Christian is an oxymoron in very many ways in the West. You will never, we will never be able to fully decolonize Christianity because of the harm it has done, because of the legacy of the doctrine of discovery, and because of how it continues to, um, well, basically, this is this term hegemonic. Mm -hmm. um, it dominates over all other systems, all other beliefs. Um, in this land that we now call America and Canada and in the West in general. So, um, so many indigenous languages and traditions and things have been lost in the process and will sadly never be recovered because of the legacy of uh, Christianity and, and what that did here. Yeah. Absolutely. There, that's an incredibly salient point too. And I have to acknowledge that I also am a white person coming to a conversation from a Christian perspective about decolonization. And I can't think mm -hmm. from my understanding of native history, I cannot think of two things that have been more um, actively evil, I guess, in the history of native and indigenous populations than Christianity and, and Europeans. And that's where I'm coming to this conversation from. But I'm hoping that yes. we can have it. You know what I mean? So, yes. So you read Mark Charles' book, right? And yeah. then what happened next? Yeah. So then I, as I was learning and wrestling through that and wrestling through my own journey and my own process, um, I decided to start a page to document my own journey of decolonizing as a Christian, as someone who actually works in a church, like as someone who trained their whole life to do men like be a minister and, and work towards that. Um, I wanted to then bring people, be as transparent as possible and bring people on that journey of not just showing them um, where cr Christianity has been harmful in the West, but also um, helping just, I, I believe change happens in community and I think together we can creatively imagine a better world that we want to create um, something that is um, less harmful at the very least less harmful than what there is now and I, I don't I, I don't use the term I don't throw around the term reconciliation often because I think it's it can be a harmful term but um, Mark Charles also suggests the word is conciliation I think um, coming to grips with uh, the fact that things have never been good between, um, between yeah, yeah. Uh, white settlers and indigenous people because of the harm that's been caused, the, the genocide, the land theft, um, you name it. Yeah. And so um, even, even talking about those terms uh, is privileged because we, we really don't, and we really don't get to have a say in whether or not that happens. Right. That belongs entirely with indigenous people, so. Absolutely. I loved that part that Mark brought up about there, there, we can't have reconciliation because we never had conciliation in the first place. And I think that's, I guess, sort of what first started to open my eyes, right, to um, sort of my own history. It came first in a secular realm, uh, learning just, you know, sort of history, period. And then I started to realize the intrinsic nature of Christianity and colonization and how those things coincide and really prop each other up, to be honest. Yeah. Did yeah, you grow absolutely. up in a church setting? I did grow up in a church setting. Yeah, I grew up. So a um, bit of my story, I grew up in a very conservative 
um, homeschooled, fa- like family homeschooled, homeschooled uh, grade K to seven. Okay. Um, and uh, from there, yeah, eventually went off to Christian school and that's where I graduated high school. But my family is very um, evangelical, I guess that's the word for it. Very uh, conservative and Christian and privileged. That's, mm-hmm. that's my background. And um, I've had to come to grips with that and the reality of that and learning um, some of the harmful mentalities of understanding the world, you know, believing that Christians were the most oppressed people mm-hmm. and that we needed to, to, as a result, defend our own rights and defend all those things. Um, and then hitting a point, realizing that, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> and right. uh, come into grips with that. So uh, that's been that's been a whole journey of uh, the last decade or so my right. life. Um, kind of coming to terms with that and um, yeah and in so doing then also understanding the ways Christianity has been colonized or has been used to colonize pardon me absolutely it's so interesting to me that um, you know I grew up in a conservative Christian evangelical home and the practicalities that I were taught are what made me who I am today but when I express those practicalities now, the evangelical church is like heretic. You know what I mean? Like that's a, I get heretic, I get false prophet, I get called son of Satan. Um, I get called all these apostate. I really have graduated from heretic to apostate. Um, and I get called all these things on a regular basis for simply asserting the things that I was taught back there uh, about loving everybody. I just apparently carry that out too far. <laughs> yeah it's know. interesting it's interesting how loving can suddenly become a heresy it's like right hmm, i wonder what and, and i think that ties into colonizing theology right theology that it's about power it's about control it's about dominating the narrative it's about um yeah it's really about determining what people do and what they don't do and i mean yeah. that's that's where you use fear. That's where you use those as a tool to basically manipulate people into doing what you want them to do. And I argue that that is how Christianity is colonizing for everyone. It's, mm-hmm. It causes harm for everyone, even the people that it supposedly is supposed to benefit. Yeah. And I think that is where you hear these words like deconstruction being thrown around a lot right now. Um, I think that's why rightfully so there's so much of that happening is people are realizing that this is actually harmful and this doesn't benefit them at all. And this is actually bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No, it's, it's not bad. It's not good news. I mean, it's not good mm-hmm. news for everybody. Right. I mean, it might be good news, mm-hmm. but it's not for like anybody who doesn't look like me, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. It's just- wild now i don't want to lose everybody who's watching because we have a, a good amount of people watching right now um but there have been oh we're gonna put a pause on that someone just brought up the um christian boarding schools uh and the history that i know both the, uh, america and canada have with these uh in particular in canada i believe that the body count has continued to rise for people that were mm-hmm. fa- uh, for the bodies of people that were found at these native schools what has been sort of the cultural conversation that you've been having since all of this started to come up um, with the, the bodies being found at these uh, schools? Oh boy, yeah, this has brought a lot of, uh, this has brought a lot of stuff to the surface, but I think for Canadians especially, we've lived in a lot of ignorance over the years. And this is also partly due to our own privilege and white supremacy because indigenous peoples had been saying for forever that this has been happening ever since these schools have started they're like our children didn't come home where are they right they've never come home and there was never any investigations there was never any kind of follow-through on some of those and or if there were any it was just very minor and sort of that was it Mm -hmm. and so indigenous people have known that there is a large number of missing people missing children but 
um, I think the greater Canadian body didn't realize to what extent that was. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just kind of for a little bit of a history, um, back in May, 215 graves were found in um, Kamloops, uh, the Kamloops uh, former residential school site, boarding school run by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. 215 un- unmarked graves. And um, it shook Canada to the core, for sure. But since then, I think from what I understand now, though, I haven't checked specifically, but last I checked, the count was over 7,000 unmarked graves have been found in Canada. And we haven't even started looking in America yet. And there was more schools in America than there were in Canada. And those numbers are going to be even higher there, unfortunately, when that starts being a thing. Yeah, I can't. I can't even fathom that because I've been watching, uh, following your page and then a bunch of other accounts that I intentionally follow. Um, Side note, you can't be, you cannot be passively intersectional. Uh, This is for those of you who are watching, you can't be passively intersectional. And so if you ever want to be able to think and act outside of your own perspective, you must intentionally consume information from a perspective that is not your own. And so I've been following these accounts online and watching the amount of graves rise and knowing that America is not even close to the reckoning. Um, I'm not saying Canada has done everything right, but like I'm just saying y'all didn't have Trump. That's all I'm saying, because these are conversations (laughs) that need to be happening. Like you said, I mean, those those borders for indigenous folks were not the borders we have drawn now. And so Mm -hmm. there there is remnants of this same stain on our country as it was in yours. I mean, our country's language says that referred to people as merciless savages. Uh, It wasn't until 19. I learned this this week that it wasn't until 1924 that Native Americans were considered full citizens and granted that protection. Protection, um, via a constitutional like amendment 1924 like that's that's not mm-hmm. even a hundred years ago for us well in in Canada I would argue that that's not even the case today mm-hmm. um, the Indian Act which is one of our that's the legislation that allows for our reserve system that we have in Canada it's still got its basic framework as when it first was legislated in the late 1800s mm-hmm. and it still has it still contains dehumanizing language towards indigenous people in it and so um, as long as that legislation exists um, systemic racism towards indigenous peoples will continue to <laughs> exist in Canada yeah. and that's just something that we have to come to grips with and why there needs to be systemic change in this country because and I mean, of course, in America too. But um, yeah, I, I can again. I can only really speak for Canada because I'm mostly aware of Canada's system. But you know, these these schools that were run, this was all part of the Indian Act, right? It was forced removal of ch- children mm-hmm. by the state, and then put into these schools that were run by the church. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was a multi-denominational thing. Predominantly, it was Catholic for mm-hmm. sure. I think it was over sixty percent was Catholic, from what I understand you may need to fact check that um but it was the catholic church and then anglican which is kind of similar to episcopal i guess it would be episcopalian um and then the united church um and then there were some other denominations that even filled in for residential schools uh for instance the mennonites in canada filled in so that they wouldn't have to go to war during world war ii and so that is a big, huge thing um, in Canada that, that as a result of that, um, the Mennonite church has actually been kind of really on top of decolonizing because of their own harm towards this. And so they've been doing a really good job in a lot of ways. I, I mean, I think they can always do better, but they've, they've at least been one of the more outspoken uh, denominations in Canada about um, the harm that colonizing Christianity has caused towards indigenous people. So, but yeah, it's, it's ironic because, you know, you don't, you are a pacifist denomination. You believe, you know, that you aren't allowed to kill. So you don't go to war, but then you go and participate in another system of violence towards people in your own country. 
I'm so. actually like shook right now because of that, because we actually had a friend of mine who is a lifelong Mennonite came on um, the podcast a couple months ago. And we talked about that sort of fundamental and deep rooted and holistic commitment to pacifism. I think yeah. if anything, it just shows to me that there is something within Christianity and maybe it exists within other religions too, but I'm just speaking from my own space right now. There is something within Christianity that has developed, I don't know if it was there originally, but it has developed to support and bolster colonization. I mean, even mm -hmm. the gospels originally are actually like wildly anti-Semitic in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's something foundationally in there that is bringing us here. And that brings me to my next question, which I've been dying to talk to you about. Everybody else, you can just stop watching right now. No, I'm just kidding. Please don't. Um, but I've been dying to have this conversation and I'm going to set it up for, for our friends a little bit. Okay. Um, people who are watching the idea in Christianity, which most of you will be familiar with is that Jesus died to, on the cross to forgive you of your sins. So you can go to heaven when you die. That's kind of the basic evangelical equation that's out there. Right. Um, that idea is called atonement theology. Uh, basically, Christ dying on the cross atoned for our sins. Now we can go to heaven. But uh, my friend and I here have been having an interesting conversation about how atonement theology is actually largely uh, in part related to, to colonization. And I'm, I am dying to hear your take on this. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> atonement. Yeah, I think atonement theology is possibly if not the biggest uh theology that i th think provides a solid foundation for colonial christianity for imperial christianity in the west specifically um so the the i guess i should define a, a atonement first so atonement theology that we're talking about is penal substitutionary atonement um atonement as a as in referring to Jesus's death and the purpose of his death and even his resurrection, what mm -hmm. that means for the church. Um, atonement is, uh, is a doctrine that's been debated basically since the very beginning of Christianity. Um, and that just describes that process of Jesus's death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And there's many theories out there, penal substitutionary atonement, which has become like the gospel to mm -hmm most western christians certainly evangelicals yep. it's baked into the fabric of evangelicalism specifically because of its tie to the fundamentalist movement and all that um that theology is penal substitutionary atonement which is actually one of the more recent atonement theologies that exists mm -hmm. and so there's uh lots of different theories out there um but penal substitutionary atonement, this idea that God needed a sacrifice for our sins specifically, you know, that Jesus took our place on the cross in mm -hmm. our stead. That view of atonement um, is the one I'm talking about. And that view of atonement is not an orthodox view of atonement at all and i would argue that the early christians would have seen that as a as a heresy against god because to the earliest christians jesus was god and so if you are claiming that god needed a sacrifice well you're missing the point of the self-sacrifice right like that's the you're separating god and jesus which is like a big no-no in there for the orthodox christians so um yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I talk so much about penal substitutionary atonement and how harmful it is, because we use that view, right, to basically say, oh, it should have been you on the cross, and then we feel all terrible about ourselves, and all our songs are about that, oh, God, you are so great, and I am so bad, <laughs> you know. Um, Couldn't survive the without classic... that <laughs> Exactly, right? So we feel real bad about ourselves, but in that process, then we feel really good about ourselves because Jesus, oh, you're so great. You saved us, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it's it's a dangerous theology. I, I, Why do you think that uh, that links so strongly to colonization? Because I think with that theology, you can basically determine who's in and who's out, right? You can basically say, uh, you know, you can you can use fear. You can use uh, 
the pain of Jesus to basically incite grief in people, to stir up emotion in people, and and then basically manipulate them with threats of hellfire. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think the big the big danger. And the other thing about it that's so harmful and so colonizing is it's based in retribution mm-hmm. and appeasement, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of the reconciliation of God, or if we're going to even use that term, um, it's the opposite of redemptive love or of um, restorative justice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's retributive. It's a way of basically pun- God needs punishment to be appeased, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than maybe it was humanity that demanded the sacrifice, not God, right? Mm-hmm. And so um that's one of the things i i like to talk about is the different atonement theory so there's a whole bunch of different ones out there and i think there's some that are more uh more violent than others for sure and so i really try to focus on the non-violent atonement theories and i'd like to put out a shout to uh inverse podcast here they recently did a whole series on non-violent atonement theories i posted if you go to my uh instagram handle at the decolonized christian uh uh, I've put on my story highlights. One of my highlights is atonement and I've posted links to all those episodes because okay. they are just so good. I recommend people listen to all of them. <laughs> they are fantastic. I love um, it. We'll, uh, I'll drop those in yeah. the show notes and stuff there. So, yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's a heavy conversation, but, um, basically I think what we need to do is to decolonize at least our, at- so if it's if it's a violent atonement theory that makes God basically into some sort of monster that needs to be appeased, then it causes harm and it needs to go. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's lots of different theories out there, but I think um, one of the things that I, there was one of the podcasts uh, that they talked about um, just this idea even of sacrifice, and you you had brought up uh, you had brought up anti-Semitism semitism at one point too regarding the gospels and one of the things that he pointed out in this in this episode is that to understand sacrifice we've we've basically colonized the term sacrifice because um sacrifice itself is not like a heavy um sort of like it wasn't supposed to be some sort of like burdensome process or like some sort of like negative thing but it was actually a celebration in the Jewish culture, right? Sacrifice okay. was like a feast. It was a national holiday. It was, you know, all those things. Uh-huh. And so I think start reframing the idea of sacrifice towards that uh-huh. um, is already a first start, like a first, uh, just a really helpful way to reframe that all idea. Right. So if Jesus's death was a sacrifice, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus said no more to death, no more to, you know, He's, mm-hmm. he's bringing a new life, that kind of idea. And so um, I think for, for sacrifice, though, it was humanity who needed the sacrifice, not God. Yeah. And so that's where, um, yeah, some of these theories, some of these other views are really helpful. Yeah, I'm going to be looking into that because I actually want to do an episode entirely based around atonement theology. But I think that for the purposes of this conversation, it's pretty easy to see how if you have an angry child killing God, right, you can get to um, the place where you need to take children from their environment. And literally the phrase in America uh, which it might have been the same there. The phrase that was was used a lot with these residential schools was kill the Indian and save the man. And so you have this idea of an angry God who's angry because, you know, people don't believe in them. So of course you have to sacrifice your way of life and your comfort and your culture to become one with this God. But the thing is, is that native spirituality existed long before white people ever stepped on our shores, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think part of the issue is that Christianity has become so disembodied. We've separated soul from flesh, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? We, it's not just Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am and brought reason to the, the, made it the pinnacle, right? I mean, it's, it's platonic. It goes back to Plato, right? Plato is kind of the father of a lot of our modern 
uh, philosophy. And he really, he really created dualism in that kind of sense, right? And so I think um, Christianity is sort of, especially imperial Christianity has thrived off of that dualism and has used that as a tool you know, there's those who are in and there's those who are out there. You're either Christian or you're not. You're either good or you're bad. There's good and evil. There's, you know, I mean, you could go on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Christianity's really thrived off of that dualism. And I think part of the work of decolonizing is to learn how to have a more embodied Christianity where, yeah. where it's, it's both and. It's, mm-hmm. not a, it's not a separation of, of them. I think what we've done is we've a lot of Christians may say that, oh, it is both, but they, they use the, the, the spiritual or the, not even spiritual, um, the, the, the soul first, they prioritize Mm -hmm. that part first over the actual physical part, the physical aspects of our lives and, and the body and the, the flesh, right, and so, um, I think we've done that with our atonement too, we've mystified it, we've made it this mystical thing, and in the process of doing that, we neglect the fact that Jesus was killed by powerful religious elites in bed with the empire, mm-hmm. and he was a victim of the state, Yeah. right? And yeah. so while, while we spiritualize what that act did, we also must not ignore the fact that this was an act of what powerful people do when they're threatened, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it wasn't even, it's so, been so interesting to me as I've been learning uh, the history more of uh, the Gospels, particularly because I'm in an interpreting the Gospels class. Uh, it's really interesting to me that if people want to say, well, like Jesus killed, or the Jews killed Jesus, but a more accurate statement would be the Romans, the Italians killed Jesus, because like that's who did it. And the issue wasn't necessarily a counter um, religious faction. It was the actual empire. And if you look Mm -hmm. at that narrative day, it's the empire that is destroying people who believe different religiously. And I think part of what threatens what why Christians feel so threatened about, especially native spirituality, is that it's not a creedal religion. It is not a patriarchal religion. And it's highly in tune with the here and now. And I think a lot of Christianity has lost sight of the here and now. And so it's really easy to see how if you just look at this structure of like, one god dying for sins and then you have this um earth-based natural-based expansive beautiful intuitive matriarchal spirituality that can't be contained in a creed well all of a sudden you create a space for um you know literally either killing the people or trying to kill the their spirituality right out of them which is Mm -hmm. what we which is exactly yeah And it makes me think too, because it it just reminds, it brings me to this thought I had recently, but the reality is Judaism was an indigenous religion as well. Mm -hmm. They're in like the old Testament, like the Jewish Bible is an indigenous text. Mm -hmm. And I think what Christianity has done in a lot of ways has colonized Judaism Mm -hmm. because we, we no longer see through a Jewish lens and we we forget that Jesus was fully Jewish too. He wasn't Christian. (laughs) He was fully Jewish and um, everything he taught, everything he did, the way he told stories, the way he interpreted the law was very Jewish. You can patterns and even some similar stories that were told by other rabbis for hundreds of years, like yep. even before him. Yep. And, you know, he, he lived into that tradition fully. He yep. fully embodied what it meant to be Jewish and yep. yet was very spoke truth to power to the systems of power that were oppressive. And that was a threat, right? It but was. One of, the things, one of the things that comes to mind too, like I think of, um, and I have to credit uh, individuals like uh, Will Gaffney, who wrote uh, Womanist Midrash. Just She's coming on the podcast to talk about Womanist Midrash. Oh, fantastic. I'm so excited. That's amazing. She is phenomenal. And one of the things she pointed out was uh, the word for spirit in the creation story is actually in the Hebrew language, grammatically feminine. Mm -hmm. And that is a powerful reality as well, right? Uh, Judaism is not a dualistic religion, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, the way that you understand Judaism is more like, it's more like they're, even when they talk about, uh, you know, day and night in the creation account, it's not dualism, it's 
including everything in between. It's talking about dawn and dusk, uh, male and female. It's discussing everything in between. Yes. You know, there's space for all of that within Judaism, which is powerful. And Jesus yes. even has hints of that in the way he talks about uh, 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 individuals who are non-binary using mm -hmm. the term that was common in that day was eunuch, right? And so mm -hmm. he, he discusses even, he distinguishes between three different types of eunuchs in that yep. day. And that's a powerful statement that he makes right there. It's baked into the text as well. And again, Jesus is fully Jewish and he embodied that. I think Christianity did was it turned, it was very much based off of platonic dualism, like we talked about, and it created a dualistic relationship, uh, sorry, a dualistic religion. Yes. Based, based on the things Jesus said and did, right? But yeah. it became, it started serving the needs of empire rather than um, turning the world upside down, so to speak, rather than a liberative path that spoke truth to power and that yes. prioritized those who are marginalized and oppressed exactly and you can see i you i'm just actually going to stop my camera now and let you talk for the rest of our time together because like oh, no. <laughs> we are apparently reading the same authors and really channeling <laughs> similar thoughts but it's so interesting because if you look at judaism judaism is still deeply meaningful current modern religion and um they've survived attempts at colonization. But Christianity, in so many ways, began with the colonization of Judaism and, and arguably some, uh, you know, other paganistic type of religions from the period, and then just kept continually colonizing. And Christianity that is it Christianity colonized therefore it is an apt and and well-equipped tool for the colonizer and I think you can look throughout history and I'm not saying every other religion is perfect and Christianity is shit but what I am saying is that you can see throughout history the ways in which this particular doctrine which was not orthodox as you so aptly pointed out has been used to control and manipulate and incite fear what white people did, what white Christians did was come to a continent that was already thriving, thriving, and it had economy, and it had government, and it had so societies, and it had spirituality, and it had structure. And we were like, nah, you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know if it's, it's, if it's Mark Charles that says it, but you can't discover lands that are already occupied. So yeah. this, this American or, or European colonizer notion was fully bolstered by a text that's in a lot of ways based on and constructed around the ability to be able to colonize which is the antithesis of the the text originally it is it's a hundred percent and actually uh willie jennings who's another theologian author i'm deeply deeply influenced by um he is writing a book right now on on this topic, uh, hopefully it's gonna be coming out soon because I can't wait to get my hands on it. But he's, he's looking at creation and then he's tying in um, missions and tying in how missionaries originally, uh, you know, what, what does it mean to the Great Commission, right? What is that all about? And mm -hmm. I, I know Willie, Willie Jennings, a lot of his work is around decolonizing uh, Christianity as well. And you know, the gospel of Mark's great commission says to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, not just people, but we're talking about the whole cosmos, essentially, like, this has to be good news for all creation. And I think there's a, something so important there. Um, that's a piece we sometimes ignore. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, Jennings is talking about two different type, types of missionaries that first arose out of the early church. And one was essentially a type of missionary that went and saw how Christ was already at work within people, like a people group or in, in a specific place and re region, because the whole message of Christ is Christ is moving everywhere, not just within certain people, right? Mm -hmm. And so, sorry, I'm going to cough. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, pardon me. Um, and he's talking about how uh, basically, they would go and <clears throat> become immersed in a culture, become connected to a people, and then in time would um, share about 
the way Christ is already at work within <clears throat> that people. And that's essentially what it means to speak in a mother tongue, you know, that whole picture of Acts uh, where people are speaking in tongues. Like, I'm from a Pentecostal tradition, so I love like that kind of, that's kind of a, that whole speaking in tongues thing is sort of part of my background. But it's interesting, he defines mother tongue as the language that a mother would speak to her newborn like the, the intimate connection uh, between a mother and her newborn or her, or her children and coming to a people and speaking to them in that language. Mm -hmm. That means you're actually probably learning their language, not the other way around, right? Like you're becoming, you're becoming one with them in community. Yes. You know, you're, you're that kind of, that kind of picture, right? And so that is the picture of one type of missionary Mm -hmm. that came out of the early christian movement you know the early followers of jesus before they were christians christians is kind of the imperialist term that came later but the early followers of the way followers mm -hmm. of jesus that's what they did but in time as christianity became imperialized uh, missions work was used to basically conquer and expand empire right it was used to that word again hegemonically is to dominate mm -hmm. hegemonically empower like use power over people basically and say yeah. you know here you're wrong we're gonna dominate you with our beliefs and with our systems because you're wrong and we're right and i mean obviously not maybe not as simple as that but um anyway you can kind of see what happened you know eventually Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire and then you go through history and you've got the Crusades you've got the Inquisitions you've got all these different the doctrine of discovery all these different things happening in the name of Jesus yeah that don't look anything at all like Jesus yeah I feel and like Jesus is up there going nah that wasn't me bro <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and so um but it's interesting he says uh Jennings claim that this is i i only heard him talk about this in an interview but he said that it's interesting because the first type of missionary experienced like great great persecution like they experienced awful persecution and it was usually at the hands of the other type of missionary the imperial ones mm -hmm. and so it's just again it's it shows it demonstrates there's something about the way of jesus that is anti-imperial in nature the true authentic way of Jesus that speaks truth to power that um, goes against everything the empire stands for. Mm -hmm. And so the only way you can squ squash that, <laughs> you know, is to, well, co-op the narrative. Yeah. Right? Co-op the narrative and literally at every possible juncture work to eradicate the, the culture that would, that would, um, be too broad and vast for Christianity to overtake. And I think that's, that is for me is the real travesty. Like I said before, like, like there was already fully functioning peoples and cultures and societies with, with rituals and artistic works and spiritual um, practices that, but they didn't look enough like, uh, you know, like Christendom. And if you look up into today, right, we have this, this imperialistic idea of Christianity. And you can see that how that's failed other religious practices because I was actually reading an article um, from the Pluralism Project, which is an offshoot of Harvard. And they're talking about uh, Native American persecution because a lot of times Native American persecution doesn't fall under other protected religious freedoms because it actually functions outside the binaries that Western spirituality and Christian embodied. So a lot of times, even up into our exact modern day, Native American spirituality and culture is stifled and systematically unprotected by at least our Supreme Court. I mean, our most mm -hmm. one of our most liberal Supreme Court justices was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she failed Native American people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have created an em we've created another empire is what we've done. Mm -hmm. And we're doing the same thing to the peoples that were here that the Romans did to the peoples of the land that they conquered, that the Babylonians and the Assyrians did mm -hmm. to the people that they conquered. We are just yeah. right now we're bolstering the empire. Yeah. But what's almost worse is 
it's it's almost even worse what we've done because we you know Europeans essentially needed a reason to be exceptional <laughs> is kind of what it came down to right yeah. it's like they left their lands and yep. came to somebody else's lands far across the sea right yep. totally different continent yep and decided to set up shop and basically create their own empire and in so doing decided that they were the new israel i guess like that's uh, that's another like that's a whole other thing because it's like not only did they see indigenous peoples as like a threat to them mm -hmm. but they saw they essentially used propaganda straight from narratives and scripture that demonized them right they yep. essentially called they essentially referred to them as the canaanites and themselves as the chosen people of god yeah right they set up shop they named they named uh regions of america after the canaanite conquest you've got new jericho and new jerusalem and all these different places yep you know and and they exist to this day <laughs> those, yeah. those cities and those towns and counties and whatever they have there so it's like they essentially decided that we are god's chosen and god is on our side and the fact that we are destroying these people just proves that god is on our side which is not the message of jesus at all not it's at in all. fact a, it's that which steals and kills and destroys that's not the exact opposite of jesus it's uh, what i like to, to call empirically yeah. in line you know what i mean like yeah uh, it would seem to be that what steals kills and destroys is supposed to be anti-jesus and what currently uh, and historically what is stolen killed and destroyed has been Christianity and American, you know, American government, and it sounds like to to some extent Canadian as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I mean, it's just wild to me. Like, yeah, and 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 when you start digging into it, I, I've been doing some posts on dispensationalism and supersessionism, which is these two beliefs that basically dispensationalism is a literal reading of Revelation, Book of Revelation, saying that you know there's going to be a literal rapture and that basically all divided history is divided into seven dispensations and we're coming up to you know the seventh is the return of jesus kind of thing and the yeah the book of revelation is gonna happen and this whole belief anyway it, it, it arrived in the 1800s mid 1800s uh it's really not that old of a belief but it became very very popular very quickly in america and the entire fundamentalist movement which then sparked the modern evangelicalism we see today that whole thing was basically based on dispensationalism and the belief that Jesus is coming soon. Yep. But tied to super, uh, sorry, tied to dispensationalism is this belief in supersessionism, which is very much tied to, uh, well, it basically suggests that once Christ returns, Christians will replace the Jews as God's chosen people. And so the belief goes that for Jesus to return, one of the things that they believe in prophecy is that Israel must become a nation. Mm -hmm. But when Christ returns, suddenly Israel stops being God's chosen people, and it's the Christians. And so it was this belief that America is actually the new Israel, mm -hmm. and that America will become the new chosen people of God. And that's yep. where you get this very deeply nationalistic evangelical right-wing kind of whole thing comes from that's basically where it comes from and yet and, and people that are quote-unquote pro-israel but baked into it is actually anti-semitism it's actually very anti-semitic at yes. its core yes and so that's another thing right i mean it's all it all ties into this exceptionalism of like america must be exceptional it has to be Mm -hmm. and canada too i mean can we're just america north up here really it's like, <laughs> i'm speaking us too we're not off the hook <laughs> yeah no absolutely but. it's it's wild um because i used to be such a conspiracy theorist uh evangelical right like that used to be my vibe and i've come to such a different place but like there's conspiracy theories abound here as well because 
it's actually founded this this idea, right? Like you can trace these things uh, it, in a lot of the studies that I've been doing within early Christianity, right? And the transition from Judaism to Christi Christianity and how the Bible is canonized in all of that. You see all of that play out up into the modern day. And it is linear. It is scarily linear when you get back to the proof texts, when you get off freedomeagle.net where it says that the vaccine is created by the devil because there was 666 in the barcode. When you get off of that train and you actually really start to look at the development of Christianity, you can see exactly how we got to the place where we were okay with warehousing and murdering children. Yeah, you yeah. Can see it. It's wild. And it, it's, it's ironic because most Christians call themselves pro-life, right? Mm -hmm but baked into it is sadly uh, the opposite, right? It's, yep. it's, very, it's very harmful and yep. it's caused tremendous death, widespread death, unfortunately, right? Yep. And it's a deep irony and we're, we're, most, most people are blind to it until only recently I myself was blind to it. Same. And I, that's probably why I still have a lot of compassion for people who are blind to it because I know I was one of those people, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So- I could probably talk to you for like seven more hours, to be honest, because we're like vibing right now. But I would love to kind of pose a question, not to necessarily wrap us up, but I'd love to turn a corner a little bit in our last little, couple of minutes here. And I'd love to I'd love to know kind of from the research that you've done and with the acknowledgement that you are a non-Indigenous person of Christian background who is just trying to do their best, right? We're putting that out there and knowing <laughs> that you do not have to speak for all of Christianity because it's far too much to put that on one person's shoulders. But with those acknowledged, what do you think Christianity as a whole needs to do? Um, and what do you think our nations need to do to decolonize and to honor and um, not, even not even reconcile, but concile with Native populations? Solve this in, in five minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh, in five minutes. I think just the first thing immediately that comes to mind is we need to abandon bad theology. Mm -hmm. Just straight up walk away from theologies that harm theologies that are rooted in fear theologies that are used to control people yep. so i would say like i've already listed some of them penal substitutionary atonement dispensationalism supersessionism mm -hmm. I, I hesitate to even call those theologies those are more like conspiracy theories <laughs> if are. anything that's really what that is it's not yes. it's not rooted in anything biblical really at all Yep. And so, um, you know, I, I think anything, I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, and I think this is where wisdom comes in. It's, uh, you know, it, we have to be very careful. I think we just have to, we have to use that discernment to know whether or not, you know, something, does, does this theology work for everybody or does it benefit me? <laughs> you know, does it yeah. benefit me and my privilege? Does it make me more comfortable? You know, is this actually good news? And, and I think we need to be asking, is this good news for uh, those who are most marginalized and most oppressed in our midst, right? And I think that needs to be the overarching question we look at with almost everything. If we are seriously wanting to decolonize, you know, not just Christianity, but in every aspect of our lives, you know, yeah. is this candidate I'm voting for, is this person helping the person who is a recent immigrant to my country who it just lost their job or who, you know, you know, are they going to be this deported? This person trying if, to wall know? off our borders, maybe, because that's exactly. what we have here. And we have exactly. a whole group of religious zealots that are convinced that this person who is trying to wall off our borders to refugees was somehow the messenger of God. Like, that is, if you hold that up to good theology, that is immediately a heretical and downright what I would say the 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 embodiment of evil. Um, yeah, that's what yeah. I would say, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting because even the word devil, if you look at it in the Greek, it was a Richard Rohr who pointed this one out to me, but he essentially alludes to the fact that devil in Greek means many evils. It's systems of evil. Mm -hmm. right i mean evil is in the word devil right? yep. and uh it's you know it, it, we have to i think devil then comes disguised sometimes it works really well for a lot of people especially those at the top those with privilege um and i think that's where sometimes 
we as white individuals in the West naturally miss where the devil is actually at work. We mistake the devil for God all the time Mm -hmm. because of naturally because of white supremacy, because, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be more aware of that myself and I'm still going to get that wrong so many times just naturally because I'm a white male. Like I just, I am, and I'm going to, you know, almost all the all the systems and governance and everything in this country benefits me mostly, mm-hmm. right? I'm I'm I I benefit the most from these systems the way they are, and so naturally I have to look beyond myself. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's so important about decolonizing. I think that's the work of decolonizing is learning to see beyond ourselves, yes. learning to see from perspectives that are not our own, and learning yeah. to understand that what we maybe thought was good news is actually, in fact, bad news. Yeah. When you hold it up to the light, is it good news for everybody? And I think Mm -hmm. that that's part of uh, what you said about, you know, like kind of taking off your glasses of colonization is wildly important. You have to know it exists and you have to be willing to remove those glasses that undoubtedly and explicitly afford you privilege. You have to do it or you can't do the work of decolonization. And I think I would I would add to that too, that I think you have to do that by intentionally being intersectional. You cannot, you cannot change the way you think if you continue to run into the same people and ideas that you've always thought. Your thought is never going to change. You need to yes. find a Native American or, or uh, you need to find a Native or Indigenous nonprofit where you can volunteer. You need to find a YouTube video that you can watch conversations. Uh, you need to find social media accounts that you can follow. You need to actively do the work of decolonizing yourself because it's not the fault. It's not the responsibility of the person who is marginalized. It's the responsibility of the oppressor to not. Yes. Yes. And I think it's important that we do decolonize. And I think decolonizing involves learning. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing is. And I mean, this is where I'm challenged, too, because I'm a white person running a account that claims decolonizing in the title. Mm -hmm. And I've wrestled with even changing the name of it Mm -hmm. in the past. But at the end of the day, it's it's a journey, right? And I think that's, that's part of the process. But um, the whole point is to silence our own voices as much as possible and learn from those who are already doing this work of decolonizing. And I think the next step after decolonizing is then dismantling systems of oppression, right? And I think it's part of part of decolonizing is supporting those people who are doing the work of dismantling oppression. Because that work is really only being it's it's done by the people who the systems around us that built these great empires that we call america and canada and australia and wherever else in the west Mm -hmm. um you know it's the people that those systems do not work for already and have historically dominated and destroyed their cultures and languages and whatever else so um i think that's kind of the next step right it's we learn we decolonize ourselves and then we learn um and we become you know we become uh allies basically it's not even our i i use that word very hesitantly ally because it's not in my own uh i don't get to determine if i'm an ally that's not that's not my choice or that's not my uh response i i don't get to i don't get to have that Mm -hmm. say right i don't get to have that so um, but I think working alongside the people who are doing the work of dismantling, and then I think, um, helping them dismantle those systems yeah. that do oppress and build a better world. I think this whole thing comes back to this idea of, and this is where I still find hope in Christianity, at least in aspects of Christianity, this idea that, um, and maybe this is Judaism, I don't know, right, but everyone made in the image of the divine and we have this ability to create alongside the divine and i think we can create the world that we want to create and i think our world really desperately needs it i think our environment needs it i think this is the path forward and if we don't do this work i mean we could be in some serious serious trouble moving forward i don't i don't think humanity can survive another hundred years without this work so i agree very much so i agree very much so there is 
there is no passive decolonization. There is no passive dismantling. There is no passive interfaith work. There is no passive justice, uh, belief in justice. You either contribute to the system or you contribute to the destruction of unhealthy systems. That's all there is to it, really. So, yeah. well, thank you so much for all of your thoughts. I really can't wait to, to continue to interact with you, especially through, you know, through your Instagram and, and as we see these other ideas, um, you know, come up, especially on conversations but would you do me a favor and for anyone who is watching who wants to follow your work uh, we haven't explicitly stated it so can you just kind of let people know here's a chance for a commercial for your work um, for the idea any resources they should know including um, your own channel oh thank you um yeah so you can follow me on instagram at the underscore decolonized underscore christian um i'm also on twitter uh, I'm trying to remember my Twitter handle name. I think it's at the decolonize CHR. <laughs> it's okay. what it is on Twitter. All right. Um, they wouldn't allow me use, to use the same handle for whatever reason. So uh, I think they have a character limit there. Mm -hmm. um, I also have a blog, uh, thedecolonizedchristian.com. I haven't updated it lately, but I plan to do so more. Um, I'm a very... I, I, I'm very new to the world of blogging, so it's not great. I've only got a few posts, but it's just a few thoughts. Yeah. Um, and I hope to improve on that in the future. But uh, and then for any resources and things that I encourage people to check out, I have a highlight on my page called resources. And I definitely recommend people check that out. I'm constantly posting books and other materials that whether it's podcast episodes or things like that that um, I find very, very helpful. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm usually just posting the things that I'm learning myself as resources and I'm just sharing those things. And um, yeah, if you wanna be on this journey with me, I just invite you along. It's, it's just basically, I, I almost see my, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I see my page as like my own personal journal almost of, this is how I'm learning and this is how I'm moving forward. And I, I can, it's fun looking back and seeing that, Hey, I'm not even the same person I was a year ago yeah. as I started this journey. And I think that's important because we're always people in transition. We're always people moving forward on a journey and we've never made it. I think yeah. that's the, the key, especially for those of us who are white, the key is that we've never arrived. And I think we need to learn to be okay with, with that reality of like, you know, I think we just get to enjoy as much as we can enjoy the process, trust the process um, and find, find life in that work, you know? And so um, it's, it's tough at times. It, it's tough. It, it's uncomfortable. These are uncomfortable conversations, but I think um, there it's so rewarding and so worth it. And it, we get to be part together of creating a better world. So. Absolutely. That co-creative, that, the, that idea of being co-creative with divinity is one of the things that like really, um, that sticks for me when a pressure hose of like bad theology comes out and we start to see what falls away, that co-creative nature comes out. And I think it's important to realize we have agency in dismantling the systems, especially if we are people with certain privileges, we have even more agency and, and privilege is not necessarily problematic until you hoard it and you don't use it. So I think we have to yes. be that um, I really appreciate your page and the way you've set it up. For those who are watching, definitely check out the Decolonized Christian because the highlights up there have so many good resources, more than I could ever even list in the show notes. So I would encourage you folks to check it out. Um, also, like I mentioned before, we do have some really dope conversations coming up. So you can find me here every Wednesday night, either on my personal page or on the conversations page. I'm just trying to mess with the algorithm to see what works better. But you can find me here every week for more spiritually minded conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. The main tenet and the thing that I want everyone to know is that everybody's voice is welcome at the conversation. If you're interested in finding out more about conversations, you can check out the Conversations official Facebook page, the Conversations official Facebook group, the Conversations official Instagram, or you can follow me on TikTok at spiritually NB Leo WT for some sort of sort some sort of short form uh, sassy versions of what we talk 
talk about on conversations. And if you're watching and you are able to, it would be fantastic if you'd be able to help this work of conversations grow by contributing to, to conversations via the conversations official Patreon. What that does is establishes a monthly contribution, especially if you're, um, you know, kind of using this in, in place of like, you know, your spiritual conversation for the week or your community gathering. It would be awesome if you could help us further conversations by making us more accessible with um pod not with podcasts with uh subtitles and um transcripts for people who are not able to listen it would be great if you could help us become more accessible in that way please visit the conversations official page to find the link to the patreon and i'll post it in the show notes as well thank you so much for coming on this conversation friend and thank you everybody for watching we will see you next week at the conversation bye This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.